ironically, what we resist. <coughs> what we uh, struggle against can uh, increase its power, reify, concretize, and make it more real as something that's a problem. sometimes in, in trying to fix it and trying to make put things the way they should be there's that, that, that inner, inner subtle energy maybe not so subtle energy of aversion things shouldn't be this way I'll fix it it's like the ripples in the water you know no no this, this water should be calm you know and, pushing the ripples down, making them flat. Shouldn't be this way, we just create more and more and more disturbance. The paramita of metta, of kindness, is one of the most profound ones. It's near the end of the list, the next to last one of virtues that uh, the Buddha cultivated, deepened, perfected before his Sama Buddha, before his uh, complete awakening. The paramita, the word paramita is translated as perfection, but it, it also can mean literally that which carries us to the goal, carries us across the sea of suffering, that which uh, and in the profound sense of this path that, that leads home to our true nature, which is always here and now, it's, it's, it's that which uh, carries us back to this undivided intimacy with all things. One of our fellow monks in the monastic life uh, used to say, sometimes there's nothing worse than being should upon. <laughs> this big massive finger, you should be this way. And it almost immediately brings up a rebellion as we, as we fight against it. But there's a really massive, timeless, incredibly powerful internal wagging finger for many of us. It's, it's, a, it's endemic in, in, in many of our cultures, modern Western cultures. It's always knowing how it should be. It's not right. They shouldn't be that way. I shouldn't be this way. Being, being sensitive to the flaws, that which could be better. 
know, and then fixating around that. And yet in the, in the very, very activity of, of uh, judging something really shouldn't be there, uh, you know, um, art, uh, something that shouldn't be there, envy or jealousy, uh, you know, it shouldn't, shouldn't be there, I mean, we create a bad person, we struggle against it. Shouldn't have an angry mind, shouldn't shouldn't be too sleepy, shouldn't be so impatient, not only for ourselves, but then doing it with, with, with others. And all of us, especially when we're coming up against these uh, deep, deep-rooted lines etched in stone, these deep sankharas, that which we feel really trapped by. Lust, or, um, that, that is uh, out of control, or aversion that doesn't seem to be fair that keeps going, or uh, stinginess, or helplessness, hopelessness, feeling unsupported. that some of these uh, deep-rooted tendencies, uh, when we just apply to them the, the immediate perception it shouldn't be, we end up just creating more ripples. And we, we keep reifying, making real somebody who's got a problem, a thing that is a problem. Metta is, is sometimes defined as that which softens, that which heals, that which is, is friendly, allowing, welcoming. It goes hand in hand. It's uh, with the wisdom. Remember that this is heart is one heart. This awareness can focus, steady, stabilize, investigate, seeing, change, wisely realizing if everything's a cascade of change, then what is there to grip? How can you grab hold of a bubble or a, of a lightning bolt or of a waterfall. There's the recognition. There's not, there's no stability. Gripping and looking for stability is life. Grasping at space. So there's that relinquishment of that futile effort. Wisdom flowers in letting go. Realizing this spaciousness. So it is said by the great saint, Nisargadatta, wisdom says, I'm nothing. I'm not a thing. Compassion says, I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. This one mind that can steady, focus, see into change, relinquish and 
recognize that I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not. But oftentimes, as our wisdom deepens, there's the recognition that our suffering comes from contacted with the world and gripping, and so there's a sense of letting go, and still there can be a underlying feeling that suffering's coming from stuff out there. So sometimes our wisdom is, is still got mixed in with it, some aversion. It's, it's seeing the suffering coming from contact from the world, and we just like letting be, letting go, touching into peace. Once there was a group of meditators in a certain tradition that uh, Ajahn Chah was uh, invited to teach at this uh, center. I won't go into all the details, but he was. Uh, they were having a, re- a retreat there, and they were, they said, "No, no, Ajahn Chah shouldn't come because he'll disturb the nibbonic state <laughs> of, of one of the practitioners." <coughs> Ajahn Chah disturbing somebody's nibbonic state. That's called aversion. <laughs> if it's a nibbonic state, it's not disturbed. But sometimes our peace don't disturb my nibbonic state. This importance of that embracing, welcoming, kindness, compassion is an important turning point in my own life. For years, I, I had a declared war against ticking clocks. Uh, a suffer war, but there was a battle. Because <laughs> as I, I had a certain facility for getting calm, or, and, and then uh, and especially these long retreats at the monastery, three-month winter retreats, two or three-month retreats, I really loved it. And then when they, the abbot would bring in a big, huge ticking clock client, <laughs> and even set it on a on a wooden surface that seemed to be like an amplifier, you know, clank, and I, you know, so I would try to go into samadhi in the in the second gap, and then another just like bong. So then I tried uh, surreptitiously between the sessions, I put cloths under it, <laughs> and, and then I would, and meanwhile I keep thinking, well, was it some kind of? Uh, challenge he's putting to us or something like that. <laughs> and, and then I would go looking for digital clocks to replace the <laughs> kitchen clock. But uh, as I can, I know, Ajahn Chah would be smiling and laughing about it, because this was our Western habit that had the ticking clock, but Ajahn Chah, I'm sure, would be saying, did that sound disturb you, or did you go out and disturb that sound? You know. Or only the disturbed get disturbed. Uh, not that we can't really try to be aware of how we're impacting each other. But uh, remembering early on in our reflection on samadhi, when the Buddha talked about uh, that uh, someone can't really enjoy deep samadhi. They might be able to touch into it, but they won't really enjoy it unless they're able to withstand 
to bear with in a friendly way. Withstand sights and sounds, smells, tastes, impressions, bodily impressions, pleasant, unpleasant, rough, smooth. And actually something that really, really deepens the unification, which is the definition of samadhi, chitta kagata, the heart gets unified. They're still kind of keeping things at bay, then our samadhi becomes more brittle. It's still okay, but becomes more brittle. Where there's a practicing befriending, welcoming, even the clank. There is a certain truth to sound as penetrating, it can affect our nervous system, but to, rather than to keep objectifying, reifying, concretizing that as being something that shouldn't be, it creates suffering, division, to practice, not pretending that you like the sound, but to practice pretending, to practice allowing, welcoming, being well with it. And even if there is still residual resistance and struggle, being well with that very resistance, allowing that rather than just saying, oh God, there's that ill will, God, another hindrance, I'm hindered, I'm hindered, I'm hindered, I shouldn't be hindered, especially not after having practiced for all this time, and here we are, a third of the way into the retreat, but even being kind and welcoming to that. So yes, there's the letting go that leads to relinquishment, but then there's still this underlying aversion, fighting against, that, that is healed by the welcoming, being friendly and kind. That's why metta is a very profound practice. It's not just as we thought us young, especially the men going out to Thailand, not doing this easy practice stuff, sitting up all night once a week, eating one meal a day, we don't need anything else, and we're going to do practice, and cut through, and climb Nibbana Mountain. And so the idea of kindness practice, may I be well, may they be well, may she be well, may he be well. <laughs> that was like, you know, for the aged armchair Buddhists, not a... <laughs> So, but you know, it just leads to more resistance, more trouble. I'm beginning to realize that a kindness practice can be very profound. Letting go, and when you notice still some resistance, a welcoming. It's not pretending, oh, I love that ticking clock. I mean, just listen to it. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, you might love the clock, but it's not having to pretend to whitewash and not dishonest. Our teacher described it as our Western teacher, Ajahn Sumato, like, you can be friendly and kind, still be respectful. Even someone you don't particularly like, don't approve of how they are, you can still give them a place at the table. You can still offer them a cup of tea, and that's not 
That's not. I don't have the words. That's not. Going against some integrity or something. It's being human, kind, respectful. It's not saying you approve. Giving a place. Not adding ill will. Not adding aversion to it, which just tends to deepen the, the chasm. Even someone who you don't like, maybe they're disheveled, maybe they're smelly, maybe they're too loud, or maybe they're too soft. Come on, come out with it. But you can offer them a place, a cup of tea. Something very powerful about that. The, that the spirit of that is, is captured in poem. Most of us know it, but it's, it's beautiful. Rumi is a profound mystic. The guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival. A joy. Depression. A meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new joy. The dark thought the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. sacred perfection with the big finger wagging it shouldn't be we, 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 we cast things out of, of the dharma out of the sacred we, we, we throw them into the outer darkness and then guess what that wagging finger that we cast all the witches and the evil and the, the, the vermin and all the, the, the bits and ucks and out there, that finger comes back around and does the very same thing to us. We've empowered that apartheid of the soul, that splitting mechanism. Like that other Rilke poem, all things already rest. Everything has its, its, its perfection and the kind heart helps the heart that's willing to give a place, to welcome, to be with and, and not have a disturbance whatever we call a disturbance, that's also allowed and being interested. Just as we are in our yin yoga practice with the relationship with whatever it is, noticing that reactivity. It's in those places that we notice the clenching, the grasping, the rejection, that in being kind and allowing, they're, they're allowed to return home. They, they, they are 
they're allowed to belong and reveal their own ephemeral nature to run their course to arise and cease so we remember we were talking the in our wisdom practice about uh, that even a finger snap of uh, the recognition, the perception of impermanence has immense blessing, fruitfulness, auspiciousness in it because it little by little puts hairline fractures in the sense of there being something to own and grasp. And, and, and we were talking about how the Buddha also gave equal importance to, to kindness. We mentioned, I can't remember where he talks about pulling the, the cow's udder. But, but actually, I'd forgotten that actually he uses the very same uh, comparison to the finger snap. He says to his monks, monks or all practitioners, if a bhikkhu cultivates loving kindness for as long as a finger snap, he is called a bhikkhu. He is called a monk. He is not destitute of jhana meditation. He carries out the master's teaching. He responds to advice and does not eat the country's alms food in vain. So what should be said of those who make much of it? Just as the letting go led us home to that original brightness that manifests when there is no grasping. To that place where all things return. Similarly, because of the nature of aversion which keeps pushing things outside, keeping things away, a moment of kindness, notice what that does. It dissolves that separation. It unifies. That's why it's called a divine abiding. The Buddha called kindness, number one, compassion, number two, sympathetic joy, number three, equanimity, number four. He called them brahma-viharas, divine abidings, measureless abidings, because they, they melt the separations. And in the, the world that we live in, this is a very powerful and important teaching with our endless battles against terrorists and infidels and evil people and... Uh, you know, we, we, our righteousness always thinks that's, that's the enemy there and we've got to destroy it. And the Buddha said, Nahi verena verani, saman ti da kuda chanang, averena chasamanti esa damosanta sanantano. Hatred is never appeased by hatred in this world. We never overcome hatred by more hatred, the Buddha says. Only by non-hatred or 
in other words, only by love. That absence of pushing away. Ahverena. Non-hatred is a loving, welcoming. Only by non-hatred is hatred calmed or appeased. This is an eternal law. So remembering that even though these might seem like different practices, calm and steady, and then the wisdom practice of letting go, and now the kindness practice, you might think, oh, there's this practice and this practice. Remember, it's all one mind, one awareness that has different asanas, different postures, different ways of awareness can steady, focus, awareness can let go, and awareness can embrace. Let go and embrace is one mind. So we're, we're going to be practicing for, for a few days, underlining, giving more importance to this embracing, welcoming, not pretending to like everything, but generally not wishing harm, well-wishing, letting things belong. And noticing how that can be very, very powerful sounds kind of bothering us or a pain oh gosh there that is again I was getting so peaceful yesterday in that back or that knee why is it still there and yin yoga is not working meditation is not working and just notice what happens is rather than continuing to reify, concretize through believing in that aversion that notion that moment of Welcome at the door. Allowing that pain. And when we're not even telling ourselves what it is so much and that it shouldn't be there. Very different. It's a profound, profound simile that Ajahn Chah gave us. He was one day walking on on arms round and he pointed to some heavy boulders and said, are they, are those boulders heavy? And the monks look at each other and say, yes, yes, venerable father, they're heavy. And he goes, nah. He says, they're not heavy unless you try to move them. (laughs) Unless you try to lift them. We're pushing that pain away and pushing that circumstance and it seems this is heavy, this is bad, this is... And what about a moment of just letting it be? Appreciating it just as it is. There's something that drops out. There's something in welcoming, in allowing, in not adding to the conflict. It's very powerful. Remember that the finger snap, and remember. So, what should be said of those who make much of it? Not just the finger snap, but then extending, 
really practicing rather than trying to get it all just right today, practicing in this moment. The sounds are like this, some of which we like, some of which we might not like, some of which are neutral. But practicing metta is just allowing, not fighting the sounds, being well with the sensations, that field of sensations that's within this quality of presence. As we notice in the body, from the crown of the head down through the face, skull, Shoulder, back, ribs, heart, trunk, legs. The resonances, the valences of those uh, feelings that are more pleasing, or those maybe that are standing out that are more painful, not easy to be with, neutral. Who's practicing moments of welcoming? May all these sensations be, be at ease. May I be at ease with this. May I be well with this. Sukkato. Well with whatever comes and goes. Allowing, not pretending, even if there's still a verb. Oh gosh, this is just so difficult. Mm. This is just so difficult. What if we then even allow that this is just so difficult, really, as a being? It is a being that has a lifespan that appears and subsides and appears and subsides. And as Tanisha was talking about how when we, we make them an orphan of consciousness, when we just slam it, crush it back into the basement, you shouldn't be there. sensations, thoughts, moods. As we breathe in, just may I be at ease with this, this moment, just allowing it, not fighting, breathing out. A gentle ripple of being at ease with all that's around us, breathing in and breathing out. Not a big straining effort. Even the distracted mind, we don't even have to hate that. Not that we have to encourage it, but even a distracted mind is not uh, very focused, it's restless, it's... What if one allows that? Not fighting it, pushing it away, judging it.
in our life, just realizing that uh, how many things are bound to come that are pleasant or unpleasant. This is such a useful practice, especially for our daily daily life. Here's another way the Buddha spoke about it. To his disciples, to his ordained disciples, because there are five modes of speech that others may use when they address you. Their speech may be timely or untimely. It may be true or untrue, gentle or harsh, for good or for harm. It may be accompanied by thoughts of loving kindness or by inner hate. That's what we encounter, all of us. Suppose a man came with a hoe in a basket and said, I shall make this earth disappear. Be without earth. And he dug here, there, and strew it here and there, spat here and there, relieved himself here and there, saying, Earth, be gone. Be without earth. Be without earth. What do you think, monks? Would that man make this great earth disappear? Be without earth? No, venerable sir. Why is that? Because this great earth is deep, measureless. It cannot possibly be made to be without earth, so the man would reap weariness and disappointment. Suppose a man came with, with a kind of dye, a lac, a gamboge, or indigo, or carmine, and said, I shall draw pictures. I shall make pictures appear on this empty space. So he brought different colors. What do you think, monks? Would that man draw pictures? Would he make pictures appear on that empty space? No, venerable sir. Why is that? Because that empty space is formless, invisible. He cannot possibly draw pictures, make pictures appear there. So the man would reap weariness and disappointment. So too, there are these five modes of speech that others may use when they address you. Their speech may be timely, untimely, true or false, gentle or harsh, good or for harm. They may be accompanied by thoughts of kindness or by inner hate. But this is how you should train yourselves. Our minds will be unaffected. We shall utter no bad words. We shall abide friendly, compassionate, with thoughts of kindness and no inner hate. We shall abide with kindness in our hearts, extending to that person, and we shall dwell extending it to the entire world with our hearts abundant, exalted, measureless, without hostility. This is how you should train yourselves. Even if bandits were to savagely sever you limb from limb with a two-handled saw, the one who harbors hate on that account would not be carrying out my teaching. Monks, disciples, you should keep this instruction on the simile of the saw constantly in mind. So this just might seem overwhelming. Gosh, someone just saw us up. <laughs> saying harboring. It's not saying that hate might arise through habit. Okay, hate, upset. How can you do that? 
but to make that moment. Remember, even a finger snap is powerful. Even a finger snap of welcoming, allowing, even that orphan of consciousness, that hate, letting it come and go. This just shows you how deep we can keep practicing. But even a moment of kindness is important. Making ourselves like the earth, deep, measureless. And then we will find ourselves entering a, a divine abiding, a place where we're being well when there is pleasant feeling or unpleasant feeling. Friendly circumstances, unfriendly circumstances. Just in a moment, one moment at a time, allowing, welcoming, not fighting. A tremendous blessing in this practice, so I encourage us just to trust that. Let's spend this day making sure that our that our letting go is not too much tinged with the pushing away and aversion, is balanced by a welcoming and allowing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.